Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, uh, if you haven't, if this morning is your very first Sunday with us, uh, I want to extend a warm welcome to you. And you're probably wondering, why is there a big white box on the stage? Well, uh, we are two weeks in. This is week number two of a series called No Limits. And it's still no easy to get inside the box. And it was last week. Uh, and so we're in this series called No Limits. In other words, what we're talking about is, is this idea that we all limit God, but we also limit ourselves. We kind of put God in a little box of the things that we think He can achieve and the things that we think He can do. But we also do this. We also put ourselves in boxes of what we think we can do but also a whole range of different things that we think we can't do because of the things that we may or may not have done. But I want to tell you about my first job. Who remembers their first job? I remember I was 15 years old, and the first job that I ever had was to wash the two cars that, uh, that my dad's work had. And so I remember, I remember this is my job, to make the dirty cars shiny. And I loved doing it, not because I liked making the dirty cars shiny, but because I was allowed to drive the cars because we were on private property, and that was kind of somewhat sort of allowed to do. And just, this is probably going on podcast, so I just need to be careful how we word this. But it was in Victoria, so that all things are just different down there, right? And so I remember as a 15-year-old, I loved to wash the cars, but most of all, I loved to be able to drive the cars. And that was until that day. Can you say that day for me? That day. We all have a suspicion what's about to come next. I remember that day where I put the car in reverse, and I may or may not have been, okay? I may or may not have been driving a little bit too fast in reverse, And that was until I heard a... And you know that moment where you just, you realise what you've done and you kind of want to vomit. You know, it was that little moment where I was like, oh no, I'm going to die. Like I will not see my 16th birthday. I know what happens next and you know what happens next. And so I remember that moment, I got out of the car and I I ran around to the back and I remember seeing a big scratch and then an indented bumper at the back. And I remember looking at it going... Yeah, I reckon that'll buff out. And so I ran, I ran, to, the, ran to the shed and I grabbed some of Dad's polish and I remember running back to the car with a little, you know, a little uh, cloth and I remember putting a little bit of, or a lot of product under the cloth and I remember just buffing it. And guess what happened? Nothing happened at all. There was still a big long scratch and a big dent in the rear bumper. And I remember going, what do I do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive the car back down to the, down to the shed where the, where, the, where the car's parked and I'm going to reverse park it into its spot in the shadows because no one will know. And so that's exactly what I did. And then I discreetly kind of put the keys back and then I ran home and I hid in my bedroom. And I remember as I, as I arrived back home, I still feel really, really, really sick. And that night I kind of, I, I, I went to bed and I remember lying in bed that night and all, every time I closed my eyes, all I could rewind was going through my head was what? And all I could do was want to feel sick. 
And I remember this lasted about two days. Yeah, I'm a slow learner. You know, it lasted me about two days of, of feeling like every time there was a knock at the door, waiting for the police to arrive or SAS or some, you know, whatever it was to arrive because they've busted me because of the... And after two days, I couldn't handle it anymore. So I remember going to my dad and going, you know, with tears streaming down my eyes because I was 15. And I remember going to my dad and saying, Dad, oh yeah... Uh, you know the work car, like it's, it's what are you talking about? So I took my dad down and we had a look at the scratch that I tried to buff out so carefully with a little bit of product, but there's no chance of buffing that out. And I remember my dad saying to me, David's going to be okay. I remember then realising that I had a bit of a bill to pay, so I had to work off the rest of that bill for the next year to pay for what I did. You see, you know and I know that we all make mistakes. And, and, and I want to say, you know what, if you've never made a mistake in your life, Jesus, it is so great that you could be here with us this morning, and we want to warmly welcome you, because for the rest of us, you know and I know we all make mistakes. We all screw up and mess up, and we all do different things wrong in our lives. And we all, if you're anything like me, we all have moments where we replay in our minds on a screen probably like this big in our heads, the moments and the things that we do wrong, yeah? Does anyone else do that? You know, you kind of, there's, there's, there's moments where, where we've done things wrong and we just seem to replay them over and over in our heads. And there's that, there's that moment where we, where we wish we could get the DeLorean out of, you know, back to the future, one, two, or three, and we could go back in time and see ourselves and go, Dave, don't do that because this is where it's going to end. Dave, you know what, when you're reversing, look. That way, not that way. And, and you know, that moment where we all want to get to DeLorean, we want to get back into the future, and we want to tell ourselves not to do it because we know where it's ultimately going to take us. Well, this sermon is for every single person who's ever made a mistake. It's for every one of us who has messed up, stuffed up, or done anything wrong in our lives. And the title of the message that I've been, God's been putting on my heart all week is simply this. God doesn't consult your past to determine your future. You see, I don't know about you, but we've all got pasts. And, and remorse in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Remorse in itself can, can help us learn from our past. It can, it can teach us different things that we need to do to kind of to remember not to do those things. And ultimately, remorse brings us to that, that place where that can lead us to repentance and to forgiveness. But guilt, on the other hand, is something that's never overly helpful. In fact, what it does is it, it leads us into destructive and debil- it leaves us feeling destructive and debilitated. It allows sin to, to and, and our past mistakes to, to reach out and to poison our present if we're not so careful. And, and what happens if we're not careful, it leads us into wrong choices, which leads us into more regrets, which leads us back into more wrong choices, which leads us more into more, to, to more regrets. And we just find ourselves caught in this circle of guilt. But the good news for every single one of us this morning is that we don't have to be paralyzed by guilt. We don't have to let us rob us from the hope that Jesus promises, because this whole series is about this, that there is no limits to God's love and there's no limits to his forgiveness. But I don't know about you, 
You know, as I, as I talk to, as I listen to myself talk, as I, as I listen as, and as I talk to so many people around me, the one thing and the one challenge that I realize that every single one of us face is we have to live with our pasts. And we all think that somehow our past limits what God can do through us. But I want you to remember this morning, remember, God doesn't consult our past to determine our future. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to jump into a passage of Scripture. We're going to, we're going to look at two different people, both who have made, who have got checkered pasts, two people who have messed up, they've, they've stuffed up, they've, they've, they've done all sorts of different things in their life. And, and for a lot of people, they would have looked at these two characters and thought, you know what, I don't think that God could use someone like that. Two people who seemingly had nothing offered to God. But I love the fact that that's never the end of the story. I love the fact that that's not the end of their story. And I love the fact that it's actually not the end of our stories either. Because remember, God doesn't consult our past to determine our future. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to open up to Acts chapter 3 with me this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 3 verse 1. I'm just going to... Try and get my water. Acts chapter 3 verse 1 says this. On the day, on, sorry, one day, Peter and John were going to the temple at time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those who came into the temple courts. But he saw Peter and John about to enter. He was asking them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expectantly to see, to to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and, God, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do give you is in the name of Jesus walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and the ankles became strong. He jumped on his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw them walking, Sorry, saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what, they, what had happened to him. See, this story has two characters that we're going to look at this morning. Two characters with past, two, two characters who come from very different stages and seasons in life. And, and the first person that, we, that obviously is in the story is, is the beggar. I mean, this man would have been ignored by many people as he, as, as, as he sat by the, the, the temple gates. And, and no doubt he probably would have been spat upon by people because he was an outcast. He was someone that, that they didn't want to see. They didn't want to recognize. And, and so here he was, an outcast of society, sitting by the side of a gate, begging and on the pity of other people, trying to eke out his existence. He's doing it because... He's obviously a leper. 
And he's under their conditions. He's been taught and told that he's been cursed by God. But here we find this leper. Here we find him. And, and let me ask you a question. Do you think that this was what the leper had, had dreamt of for his life? Do you, do you reckon this is what he kind of, at the beginning of his life, he kind of thought, you know what, this is what I'd love to do for the rest of my life? Of course not. Of course not. That's not exactly what he wanted. But here he was, and day in, day out, lived on the, the pity and the sympathy of other people that would walk past him. And that day he was expecting and hoping maybe just a few dollars to make it through another day. But instead, what he encountered, what he, what he received was healing and wholeness. What was the greatest miracle in this story? Well, of, of course. I mean, isn't it, isn't it the, the greatest miracle in this story, of course, is, is the fact that a blind, that not a blind, he was, a, he was a, a, a leper who was begging at the gate is now healed and whole. You know, of course we think that the, the greatest miracle in the story is, is about a broken man who now is, is healed, is, is now able to enter the temple, is now able to worship God and receive forgiveness of his sins. I mean, we think that that's the greatest miracle in it. But I want to suggest to you this morning that I don't believe that's the greatest miracle that we find in this passage. Because there's two people. Remember two people in this story? The first was the lame beggar, and the second was a man by the name of Peter. Do you remember who Peter was? Do you remember, do you remember who Peter is in, in the story leading up to this point? I mean, in, in, in Luke chapter 22, we, we find this, this, this story where, where Jesus is is standing before Pontius Pilate and a crowd of people. And the crowd is there jeering and yelling and they're throwing things at him. And in here he is, he's about to be condemned to be crucified. You know, the, 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 the crowd is yelling and they're cursing and they're swearing and they're, they're calling for his death, an innocent man's death. In fact, what they do is they call and say, you know what, we will swap Barabbas, an evil man who has murdered people and done despicable things. We will we call that you let him free and you, you crucify Jesus who had done no wrong. And so here we find this story in, like, in, in, in Acts chapter 22 where where. where Jesus is standing for this large crowd of people. And in the midst of this large crowd of people is a man standing. And the man standing in the middle of the crowd is a name, man by the name of Peter. And all of a sudden, being, people begin to recognize who, who Peter or recognize this man. And, and there's a bunch of different people that come up to him and say, hey, hey, aren't you, you knew Jesus. I mean, you were with Jesus. You know that man up there. And, and all of a sudden, Peter begins to go, no, I don't know what you're talking about, man. You jerk, like, leave me alone. I didn't know. I've never seen him in my life. And this, this begins to happen time and time again. In fact, it actually comes to a point where it happens three times. And the last time, a little girl walks up to Peter. And he says, excuse me, sir. And you can imagine her pulling on his, on, his, on his cloak and says, you know that man, don't you? And Peter's like, I've never seen that man in my life. I mean, how dare you think that I would know such a man like that? I mean, I've never seen him in my life. I mean, how could I, how could, where could I? And, and here is Peter denying the one that he loved. And, and you can imagine in this moment, you know, Peter flees. 
And Peter finds himself racked with guilt and shame at what he just did. Because to make it worse, just before this happened, Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, you know what, you will deny me three times. And all of a sudden, the, the, the rooster crows and, and Peter remembers what Jesus has done. And you can imagine it's kind of this moment where it's like guilt begins to, to get compounded on him. And all of a sudden, you know, he... he he realized what he's done and he's filled with so much guilt and shame on what he had just done. And now we see that same man who had denied Jesus, the same man who is racked with guilt, the same man who was, who, was, who was so shameful at what he did, now is the same man that stands before a leper at the side of a, of a gate and calls him to stand. And through the name of who? Through the name of Jesus, the man is healed. The same man that denied that he even knew Jesus, now so intimate with Jesus, is able to bring a miracle into this young man's life. I love the fact that Jesus uses broken, hurting people. Because remember, God doesn't consult your past to determine your future. I was reading a quote this week and it says this, God never wastes our pain, only we do. God has a plan for a great purpose and a beautiful future for all those who believe in him. Not despite our past, but because of our past. So I want to ask you a question this morning. We all wrestle with our past. But do you believe that our past can derail our futures? Do you believe that our past has the power to stop us from what God can do and will do through our lives? Do you believe that the things that you've done have the power to stop what God wants to do. You see, if I was to ask you what is the, the greatest sin, the, mo the, the, biggest, the biggest moment in our, in throughout history, the biggest sin, the, the, the moment in history that it went the worst. I want to suggest to you this morning that when that the worst moment, the biggest sin throughout history was a moment where we crucified the Son of God. Someone who had done nothing wrong. Someone who had, who, had, who had done nothing wrong through his life except for love people, heal people, restore hope and, and provide eternal life in people's lives. And here was a moment when we crucified Jesus. Someone who just came to bring hope to the world and yet, as supremely evil and wicked as this moment was, the Bible tells us that it was still part of God's plan. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. And it goes on to say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should do. I mean, what does all that mean? I reckon it means that if the greatest sin in history was part of God's sovereign plan, 
and that God could still use, could, God could still use those things that maybe just maybe this morning that, that the moments and that the mistakes and the, the messed up and the jacked up and the, the things that we've done and the guilt that we carry, that maybe just maybe God can even use those things too. That sin hasn't stopped God's plan for your life. I mean, this doesn't mean that we're any less accountable for our sin because we've still got to own the fact that we've all sinned, we've all blown it, we've all made mistakes, we've all lived a messed up life and done things wrong, that we're ultimately all guilty. But we need to receive the forgiveness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But what it does mean that our greatest screw-up moments, the greatest messed-up moments, the greatest moments where we carry guilt and shame, are not powerful. They're not powerful enough to stop God's purposes in our life. And I know this firsthand because I remember a few years ago, Shadi, my wife, walking into to where I was sitting in the lounge room. And she had in her hand my mobile phone. And she'd been looking up something on my phone and... and as she looked up some things in my phone, some images appeared on my phone. You see, I'd found myself in a weak, vulnerable position where I fell into the trap. And I'd been looking at some things on my phone that I know I shouldn't have been looking at. There was images that were on my phone that I knew I shouldn't have had on there. And this moment where, where Shadi found them, and I realized and I recognized at that moment as she walked in that, that this was going to affect our marriage. And I remember in that moment that, I, that as I looked at that and I recognized that this was going to be a significant part of my, my life or my past. I remember that moment as, as Shadi confronted me about it, that this was going to affect our marriage. And, and I remember that moment, it also flashed through my mind, oh God, I wonder what that means for, for my ministry. God, I... God, if I'm honest, I just don't know if you can use someone like me because I've done something like that and I've betrayed the trust and the love of my wife. But what I discovered through this, what I discovered through this firsthand is that God doesn't consult your past to determine your future. And I know this because I discovered that God doesn't consult my past to determine my future. And I know that some of you this morning are thinking, but Dave, you don't know me. And you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what, what I've done. And you think that somehow your past has disqualified you from what God wants to do. But what I want to say to you this morning is in fact the opposite because it seems like it actually qualifies us to be used by God because what it does is it shows us that our God is in the business of using broken, imperfect people who are messed up and jacked up and, and do things wrong, that our God is in the business of using broken people to do his will, because he needs us to understand that our God is a God of no 
limits. There is no limits to his love and that there is no limits to his forgiveness. And even when I make mistakes and you make mistakes, even when we do things wrong, God still uses us. In 1972, there was a man by the name of Charles Colson. He was an aide to former president Richard Nixon. And he went to jail because of his involvement and he pleaded guilty in the Watergate situation. He was convicted and sent to jail for obstructing justice and attempting to defame Pentagon Papers. And after he was released, after he was finally released from prison, and as a result of his experience and his conviction in prison, after three years after he was released, Colson founded Prison Fellowship. Now the world's largest outreach to prison inmates and their families. With over 50,000 volunteers around our world in 88 different countries, including those who serve in our campus. And a ministry that has blessed millions of people around our world got started 25 years ago because of Charles Colson's because Charles Colson committed a crime. And God's eternal purpose that a man who committed a crime that God wanted to use. You see, I love the fact that after Jesus rose from the dead, one of the first things he went to do, one of the first people he went to see was a man by the name of Peter. I mean, imagine that moment when, when Jesus raises from the dead and, and all of a sudden you can imagine that moment in your eyes, can't you? When, when, you, when Jesus' eyes and Peter's eyes met for that very first time. Imagine that moment where I'm sure Peter would have been like, you know, you're kind of sitting there realising that he just denied Jesus, he'd let him down and he carried guilt and shame as a result of it. And all of a sudden his eyes connected with Jesus' eyes. And I reckon there would have been that moment where if he had a mobile phone, he'd kind of want to pretend he'd kind of got an emergency phone calls. Like I remember this week, I remember seeing a lady in the shops and she must have done that with someone else. And so she all of a sudden picked up her phone and started having a conversation, but then it rang. And then she was like, oh, hello. I reckon that would have been the same for Peter. He would have kind of tried to avoid eye contact, would have tried to avoid the situation, but not Jesus. See, in John chapter 21, it says this, And then Jesus said a third time to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was upset. And he, and he, that Jesus had asked a third time and he said, do you love me? So he answered, master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. And Jesus stopped and said, feed my Sheep. In other words, what Jesus was saying at this moment, he's saying, you know, I know that you've blown it. I know that you jacked up and I know that you've messed up and I know that you carry guilt and shame over it. But I want you to know that I've not given up on you. I want you to know that, that you've, you may have given up on yourself, but I've still got a job for you to do. I've still got something designed that I want you to achieve. See, so many of us wrestle with our pasts. And if we're honest, we kind of feel like that God could never use someone like me because of something I, I've done or something that's been done to me. You know, or, or maybe you're sitting there going, you know what, I'd love to do something for God, but I just don't feel like I've got what it takes. 
After the, uh, after the second service, I'm going to take my family out for lunch. And Nath, I was just wondering if you could, if you could spot us maybe 300 bucks just for lunch, because um, I, know that, uh, I know that you're getting married, in, uh, and Emma's really excited about this fact that I've just asked for 300 bucks. So have you got 300 bucks for me? Because if you've got 300 bucks, that would be awesome. You don't have 300 bucks. Hey, if I can, if I don't just get open the envelope that's sitting next to you for a moment, and if you can just do a quick favour and just have a look in there for me, and what is in there? It's 300 bucks cash. Cool. I love the fact that that's actually my money too, and I just need to make sure that I get that after the service. Uh, <laughs> see, this morning I was confidently able to ask Nathan $300, knowing that Nathan didn't have $300 in his wallet, or assuming Nathan didn't have $300 in his wallet. In his wallet. I was able to confidently ask Nathan for $300 because I knew that I'd already given Nathan $300 at the start of the service. Nathan didn't know I'd given him $300, but I had given Nathan $300. See, what we've got to realize is that God comes to us. He goes, I know that you're broken and I know that you make mistakes and I know that you feel regret and guilt over the past and what you've done. And I know that all of these things can hold you back, but I'm going to ask you to do some things and I'm going to be confident in that, not because you think you're good enough, because I know as God that I know that I am good enough and I know that I've given you what you need to do, what, you've, what I've called you to do. It's that moment where God asks confidently and he watches this kind of, you know, it's kind of like we fumble in our pockets looking for something useful to offer him. And yet God goes, I know I know that you can do it. And I know that you're still racked with guilt over the past and you still need to ask forgiveness and you still need to, to go through the journey of this. But I know that you can do it because I know that what I've placed in you. But for so many of us, we need to realize that God doesn't consult our past to determine our futures. Right now as a campus we need God to use you. Because we've got some areas of need in our kids' ministry and our welcome teams and our hospitality teams. And, and if you're any good at playing music and tech, we, we could use you as well. And this is not a sales pitch, but this is a really practical thing that I want to do at the end of this sermon. Go, you know what? God wants to use you. Sometimes we look and we go, God, I, you don't know what I've done. And God goes, I exactly know what you've done. And yet I'm going to choose to use you anyway. And God's sitting there going, you know, you're sitting there going, you know, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm gifted enough. Or, and God goes, I know that you don't feel like that, but I also know what I've put already inside of you. So for some of us this morning, we need to begin to activate and take some steps. Say, God, I'm messed up. God, I'm jacked up. God, you don't know what I've done. And God goes, I do, remember? But I still want to use you because if I can use someone like Peter then I can use someone like you and yet I know that for some of you you keep hearing that like Peter and like the beggar that you're, you're worthless that you've messed up that you're carrying guilt and shame but the story that matters most isn't the lame beggar it's not Peter, it's not Charles Colson, it's not my story, but it is your story. That I want to say to you this morning, the story of your life is not ruined. 
that it is not done, that it is not finished, that there, because there is no limits to God's love and there is no limits to God's forgiveness. See, God wants to say that if you're not dead, then he's not done. It's time to stop listening to the enemy, the things that you can't do. Start listening to a God who's already given you what you need to do or what you, the gifts that you need to do what he's called you to do. For some of us, it's the time to step out the box of our past. The past of what you've done, the past of what has been done to you, or the past of what people have said about you. And recognize the best and the greatest voice that we simply need to listen to is God's. this morning dearly Father we thank you God we thank you that you see and you know and you forgive and you empower and God you fill with your spirit and you've given gifts and you've given passions and abilities but God I pray this morning that we will stop listening to our voices and the voices of the devil that says you can't that you won't that won't say that you, you, do, you are messed up, God, you, that, that you've made mistakes. But God, that we will realize and we will see you how, sorry, we will see ourselves like you see us. God, we thank you that literally hold the universe in your hands and that you have given us gifts and abilities to serve you. God, I pray this morning that we will, we will realize God, that we will realize we'll stop and pause and recognize that you don't consult our past to determine our futures. God, we thank you that even though we've all messed up, God, we've all stuffed up, that you can use us. God, we pray that we put our lives in your hands again. God, we put our futures in your hands. God, we put our gifts. God, we put our passions in your hands with the desire that you would use someone like us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.